Welcome to our house with one of Australia's leading auctioneers, Rod Amos, and buyer's agent, Matt Sharp. And now for your dose of information and observation about real estate across the nation. Let's go live to your host, the voice of the National Rugby League, Steve Allen. Episode 45 of the Our House podcast, all thanks to Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions, alongside me, Matt Sharp from Sharp Property Buyers. Thanks, mate. Uh, another week. We've got two huge guests on today. I'm very excited to chat to these guys, uh, leaders in their field. So they're going to be giving us some absolute gold, I would expect. Rod Amos from Urban and Coastal Real Estate. Uh, Rod, great to see you, my friend. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, Matt. Let's just remind everybody that Central Coast has actually had Nine out of ten sunny days in a row, haven't we? It's just magic. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you said about two massive guests. So one of them, uh, one of them is huge. It's Mark McNulty, the master franchisee for Smith and Sons Renovations and Extensions in New South Wales. Now, we've been trying to get him for a couple of weeks. Uh, he used to be my boss at the radio station, but he has done a magnificent job with this franchise. That's it. Look, from team building all the way through to creating, it's getting up over 20 franchises right now, starting it from the ground up. Fantastic story. And again, something that you've got different people in every community around New South Wales involved for the franchise. Kane King coming up as well. We can't wait to talk to him. Uh, This guy has won national awards for his architecture and also town planning. And he's got a real vision for numerous cities around New South Wales. We'll tell you more in a few moments' time. Quickly, what caught your eye, Sharpie? What caught my eye? was actually NAB. NAB have recently reduced the amount of shading that they place on rental income earned from a property. So for example, if you own a rental property, most of the lenders will only consider 80% of that rental income as income for yourself. NAB have now increased that to 90%. So an example would be uh, $500 per week in a rental property. Uh, Historically, the bank will only accept $400 per week. Now it's $450 that they will accept into their accessible income. So it's a bit of a game changer for investors. And and what it means is with the increase of interest rates, uh, that extra sort of 10% in terms of income could obviously go towards servicing that additional interest rate. Why have they done it? And are they the only ones in the big four that have done it? The others will follow. The reason why they've done it is to make rental properties more accessible to everyone and obviously to counter the the increase in interest rates. So exciting times. One thing to know is the banks will continue to pivot and continue to make new policies and change policies in order for them to look attractive and and in order for people to continue to buy property. Okay, just quickly, a couple of things that caught my eye. So the global economic forecast has been lowered again. You guys would have heard this. This is news this morning to 2.7. One third of the world economy will contract with shrinking incomes and rising prices in 2023. We're about to come into the Christmas period. I don't know about you guys, but I would be staggered if we hear that retail are having a record year. I think, are people bunkering down? What are you thinking, Sharpie? It's hard to say. Like, with the recent um, CPI numbers released only a week or two ago, it's that's not indicating that people are bunkering down at all. Um, yeah, but, I know. Yeah, December, January, yeah, who knows? We, we wait and see. A couple of the reasons, the Russian invasion of Ukraine inflation pressure and the slowdown in China. Now, Rod, you probably follow that more closely than any of us. The Chinese economy is not performing as well as they forecast going back only a few months ago. 
It is particularly stagnant there too. Rising interest rates right across the world, and again, China's affected by that as well too. So there's so many mm-hmm. pressures mm-hmm. taking place worldwide. But again, I think Australia's probably positioned in a better place than the rest of the world moving through into 2023. Boys, I noticed on realestate.com.au a property in Big Hill, one of only nine on the beach side of the Great Ocean Road in Lawn in Victoria. It's up for sale for the first time ever because the home was built in the 1980s The views, I've got to say, they are breathtaking, just stunning. Expectations around eight to eight and a half million. I would have thought it would be worth far more than that, waking up to that view, but that would set a new record in that area. It would be a 270-degree ocean view. Beach access, Steve, I'd imagine straight out the backyard, across the acreage. Absail down the cliff. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We won't be doing it that way, but that explains why they can't have the view built out at any rate. Yeah, just magnificent. So that's up for sale. Hey, let's get cracking because we've got a busy show. Uh, Rog, can you do a grand introduction for our first guest, Kane King. Well, Kane King, Terrigal born, bred, raised and schooled as well. Now, Kane's the senior principal partner of CKDS Architects. They did start at Gosford, still have their lovely offices East Gosford, but very heavily involved in Newcastle with an office in Newcastle and in Sydney as well. Kane, good morning. Thank you for joining us. And just so much to talk about that's got a perspective right around Australia as far as what it's like being an architect and trying to deal with the not just population pressures, demands from the market and also council and regional planning as well. Wow, thanks for the the intro. That's uh, that's quite remarkable. Um, first of all, that you were waiting all morning to hear from me, um, and then and then sadly to hear that it's actually been a decade since we got together. Um, it just kind of shows uh, how long we've been hanging around doing this stuff. Would it be a decade? I mean, it was around the yeah. time where Gosford was being redeveloped, and yeah. you were you were leading yeah, the 16. charge. Yeah, twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, around there. So close to a decade. You're absolutely right. It's, um, it's just it starts somewhere, doesn't it? And, uh, yeah, you blink and uh, before you realise it, time goes by, doesn't it? So are you happy with the transformation so far, the metamorphosis, and it's going to continue, obviously, and your plan? And I remember at the time you were telling us you'd studied cities around the world, and some of them are right here in Australia, on the Apple Isle, for instance, that you wanted Gosford to reflect. Yeah, look, we are right back. Um, obviously, regional towns were back in that day looking at 16, 17, Regional towns are trying to reinvent themselves. Um, obviously, still living the dream from the um, the mega centre, shopping centres, and that from you know the 90s and 2000s being developed, sucking the life out of our regional towns. Um, so, looking at um, how can we revitalise towns and, and reinvigorate them? Um, obviously, studies that um, that we've really looked at and um, really just. Yeah, we collectively wanted to try and see that what the whether the learnings or full earnings as we like to say failed learnings, um, that we can actually then, you know, try and actually accelerate our regional centres. Uh, really important that um, within the New South Wales is uh, we had a series of amalgamations, I suppose, from councils. Now, as well as um, I suppose back then the um, the Gosford, the old Gosford Shire on the Central Coast, the um, the amalgamation of that council that, that we had a bonus scheme coming through Gosford Council, which really encouraged and invigorated development at that time. But unfortunately, the amalgamation of um, the New South Wales amalgamated certain councils to probably be a little bit more efficient in their sort of regional areas. And um, that was just unfortunate for the Central Coast at that time, amalgamating with Wyong. Um, due to the fact that it's just uh, halted momentum of a, of a probably uh, city vision, which is now probably taken another five years to even just start to ramp back at where we were. 
five years ago. Um, so, but that's happened right across New South Wales. Uh, there's a lot of amalgamated councils and that, and um, yeah, for better or for worse. Um, but ultimately, when you look at this amalgamation on the Central Coast, having one council, it makes perfect sense. But there's growing pains, and that can't be denied. Um, and then uh, when you uh, look at those sort of regional areas combined with uh, COVID and obviously uh, migrations out of the city centres, um, a lot of regional areas have bended from that. Now, I'm probably charging ahead a little bit further on the conversation, but I think ultimately amalgamation was the right thing, but um, I think everyone underestimated the time it would take to actually really, truly get, um, get them working together functionally. Mm. And mate, you work across multiple councils and, and one thing that we're experiencing here on the Central Coast is obviously delays in, in DA approvals, mainly in the residential and in the smaller stuff, but how does the Central Coast Council stack up against some of the other councils that you're working with? Uh, yeah, we're doing work in Armada, we do work at Kingscliff, I do work at Coss Harbour, we're doing work in Hawksnest, we're doing work in uh, Newcastle. Um, you know, the, the regional areas... Um, are powering. Um, look, even unfortunately for Armadale, they're in administration as much as uh, the Central Coast Council is, but they seem to be able to turn over the DAs, and that's locally due to employment. Uh, local areas, they've, they've been able to maintain that local, uh, let's say, team of planners. Um, so their ability um, has stayed fairly consistent, whereas um, unfortunately for the Central Coast, with the COVID period and everything, we've actually seen an exceptional amount of DAs being submitted every month. So we exceed at this stage, it looks like 850 DAs a month coming into council. Um, and unfortunately, through the amalgamation, planning department was one of those that got cut. Um, so we were left with um, exceeding amount of you know, well, statewide leading council as far as DAs go, that's the highest number of DAs in the state we're going through Central Coast Council, and we had the least amount of planners to be able to do that. <laughs> and then on top of that, because of the amalgamation, you've got cultural issues, um, and it makes it really hard. So actually to try and advertise and find replacements um, in there is really, really hard. Who wants to go to a, uh, an amalgamated council that's having um, you know, staff issues and, and um, <laughs> cultural issues? So it made it really hard for them to kick that off. Um, these things are slowly recovering now. We're starting to see some transaction in that. And, but the DAs, um, you mentioned before, yeah, a lot of alts and ads, mums and dads, as you said, but actually it affects large and small developments. There is, there is no peace here. Um, you're still waiting over a year for a DA, even a house DA, a, a 4.55 we call it, for an alteration to an existing DA is still taking over a year uh, where they should be like oh, yeah, six weeks or yeah, a couple of months at most. So we've got a long way to go. So the department and um, you know has also stuck their hand up and they're trying to actually offer assistance to um, councils under administration to try and make sure that they're functioning. So we're starting to see some transaction on that, but that is that's slow, slow recovery, um, and we've got a long way to go. It's just crazy that they would cut the the planning department. But anyway, um, mate, well have- they didn't have a choice, unfortunately, because they, they went under administration. The um, they had to cut costs. Uh, the the council was in such great debt um, by the council laws at that time, who um, probably acted a little bit uh, immaturely of not really knowing where the books were at. We, we won't talk about some of the overseas allocations of council funds, but, Kane, really, it's, <laughs> it's a perfect storm right round Australia because this happened about six years ago. 
Um, lots of councils struggling with things through the amalgamation in New South Wales. It wasn't the only councils who were amalgamated, but we still had similar pressures happening around Australia. You're dealing in so many regional areas as well as the three major population centres. And the one thing I'll lead into now is the identification of the cities throughout New South Wales, which is so much an intrinsic part of the New South Wales plans moving forward. But the other thing I'll add before I come back to you is not only with the councils, but with the whole population demographic movement because of COVID and the areas that you specialise in, with the exception of Sydney, having these huge population pressures over two years, what are you working through in all these areas? And, and tell us a little bit more about the, the major cities plan for New South Wales. Yeah, great. There's a lot in there, right? The um... <laughs> sure is. I'll, I'll take a small a small bite of that uh, that apple and, and aim at the regional centres. And that you see right now um, the influx of actually migration out of the city centres and into regional towns. Um, people will be able to work from home, which is a, a you know fantastic opportunity for communities and that. And so what we've seen is a return in community values our return in actually people knowing their next door neighbour now because we were all locked at home. The only people that you could talk to is possibly your neighbour across the fence. Now, it's, I say that with tongue in cheek, but it was amazing how many people didn't know their neighbour. And so we get to the point now where people are valuing where they live and now they're shopping closer. So we have a lot more sort of localization, and the economy is actually re going really well with those small businesses being a major part of our economy feeding off that. Uh, regional areas then have to think about, okay, well, what does this mean? Um, so the incentive and the initiative of the migration kind of overpopulated our sort of regional areas to the point where we saw how prices uh, just exceed. And you could have heaps of um, podcasts all on the, the uh, on how that affected dollar-wise, but it was incredible that the fact of the resources and the forward planning that wasn't able to catch up, the strategic planning that wasn't able to catch up to actually mitigate and sort of compensate the uh, investment opportunity to actually allow more development to happen in key areas to actually capture that growth. So right now we see a lot of regional areas stuck. Um, we've got a real rental issue because we haven't been able to supply the appropriate amount of housing in these regional areas to actually allow people to actually you know, rent uh, or purchase to rent um, and so we're seeing a lot of people fighting for that sort of rental opportunity anywhere. So I think on the Central Coast too, there was some of the figures were down to point, um, yeah, less than 0.7% of availability, which is just crucial. You need that availability, that, that stock at hand to be able to actually capture this sort of growth. So the migration moving out created um, a lot more skill sets within our regional areas. So there's a lot of positives about what's actually happened, but the regional areas now need to reconsider on how their community now focuses and operates and what sort of um, typology that we need to sort of cater for in the near future. And a lot of our towns, when you even look at Dubbo, you look at in Mudgee, you know, a lot of the typologies are going to actually be a collective of housing opportunities. And so why do people move to regions? It's because of affordability. Um, now, unfortunately, with COVID, that kind of compensated the supply and demand of building products just went straight through the roof. And so what used to be able to get for $1,000 a square metre, now you're paying $2,500, $3,000 a square metre and and then now upwards. So the cost of building um, also has to be a factor played in the economy recovery um, in these regional sort of areas. So not to get too far ahead of myself, but the typologies that we should be looking at is densifying because looking at the, the pressure points within our regional areas, you're looking at, infrastructure, our road networks, our sewer networks, our power networks. Um, some of the funny things I'm hearing in the wind about power 
is that we put all our solar cells on our roofs, which is great. What I heard recently was maybe in four years' time, we actually will be paying the um, energy suppliers to put power into the grid because, unfortunately, they were only ever designed to go in a one-way system, and we're using it now as a two-way system. Um, so we're putting extra pressure on our infrastructure that needs to really be considered. And sustainability is a is a, a train that's moving forward and you cannot stop it. We need to, we can't acknowledge all the flooding and bushfires and droughts that we've had of late. So we're going to have to put more effort into that. But our infrastructure has to be able to sustain that. And so our regional areas to move forward has to be able to adapt and evolve out there infrastructure to cater for the growth and on top of that you, you're talking about housing supply what what does that look like in regional towns i actually think the uh, there's a real opportunity in regional areas particularly in the hubs i'm, I'm going to call the brownfield areas which is uh, existing building areas rather than greenfield areas being vacant sites the brownfield areas are, may have to densify and actually even in regional towns cater for a lot more unit types um so you're going to see different units pop up you're going to see some a lot more townhouse sort of developments happen um that sort of missing middle and you may see you know some large you know middle same density housing you're going to see some low density housing and then as you peter out from those um city hubs you'll see some more lots of subdivisions and that so we're going to be have to cater for every typology is in short answer in these regional towns to be able to actually move forward and that's probably the key across every regional area and probably across the nation oh i'll tell you that is just such a fantastic answer uh thanks for sharing your insight uh we've got a couple more final rapid questions match up we'll go first here he goes i've got the first one mate what's yep. the most exciting regional suburb that you're looking at at the moment or, or sorry the regional center that you're looking at at the moment oh <laughs> exciting that it could be the central coast that's exciting for all the wrong reasons rather than the right reasons <laughs> <laughs> no well actually i'm not going to try to be biased here but actually the central coast is one of the favorite, uh, most exciting regions because it just got absorbed into the um greatest sydney commission the six cities so how, how are your region and how your city at once so when you talk about the complexity of that um, and how you actually lay that, I, that's really, you know, you know, does initially does your head in. But everything has its time and place. And so what it made you focus on more was what are the strengths and weaknesses of your region and how do you actually take advantage of that? So for some of the faster growths, Armadale's doing really well um, in some of the pickups, uh, you know, being a, one of our larger inland towns. Coffs Harbour's picking up, uh, doing really well. You know, Newcastle being a, probably more of a city more than a region, it was has just been exponential growth, which has been incredible. But like up at Kingscliff, I'm saying there's a lot more opportunities up there too, and particularly for affordable housing. And you see a lot of the focus on the state government up there in what they're doing. So I think there's a lot of regional hubs that are just picking up speed. And so all exciting in their own part, but right now, um, being part of a six cities and a regional area, that's pretty exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we all live here and we know that uh, for years, for decades, this area has been crying out to be recognised as a region in its own right. And it was always lumped in with either A, Sydney or B, Newcastle. Correct. Yeah. It's such a huge population and geographically as well. Yeah, to, so to stand by yourself is really important there. You know, sometimes you feel like you're a rocking, you know, in between two boulders and um, and we, you couldn't move. But now actually with the um, you know, COVID and the ability to work from home, we're seeing a lot more professionals and skilled people maintain here and actually now start contributing better locally. Now you talk about the council and where they're at. Look, at the moment they're on a forward-thinking process, which is really interesting with the Gossard Foreshore being launched um, and that's their initiative. You're starting to see the change 
in the air about what's actually going to be moving ahead. And every regional town, as I said before, needs to find their initiative, their thing. Hey, by the way, uh, just before we wrap this up, you uh, must be incredibly proud of your work in Newcastle and you've won a lot of awards. There's too many awards to mention, but what are some of the ones you're most proud of? The National uh, Accommodation for the Verve Apartments in the, uh, the new Newcastle West area is probably one of the things there we're initiating you know, change straight away in the, to recreate and reshape a city. So that's one of the you know one of our proudest sort of moments of actually being the uh, at the forefront of that sort of development and uh, doing that with Philip Thales and his team is, is was fantastic. It was a great JV. Kane, thank you so much again for joining us. We're going to let you run through. It's going to be a frantic four weeks through to Christmas for you. But can we come back and have a talk to you maybe about February because we've got so much on the table regionally and certainly on the Central Coast with the waterfront. Uh, we'll hook up in February and we'll just see what else is in the changes both from state planning and also so many things that are going to be replicated, duplicated right around this nation. Absolutely, yeah. That'd be an absolute pleasure. February sounds good for me. It's, uh, it's uh, Christmas under the belt and um, yeah, a bit more surfing, Rod. Right? Yeah, maybe we can actually hook up and go for a wave or two. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's bad. Kane got back from Indo a week after I, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah you, you set me up for my, my run. I was watching uh, your posts and uh, thinking, oh, this is me next week. This is awesome. And so it you got was. me all excited. Yeah. Yep, absolutely loved it. I went to uh, Roti Island, which is uh, regional Indo. Um, just above Darwin, so it was fantastic. Peaceful, laid back, and you had the reefs to your souls, you were telling me, Kane. Absolutely. Left or right, you choose. You know, <laughs> you know, no, not this one, no, not this one, no, I'll take this one. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't paint a better picture. Uh, thanks again, Kane. Great to have you on the podcast for the first time, and we'll talk again soon. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you very much for including me. What a great interview. Yeah, that's one of the best guests that we've had. Like, what about the information that we're getting from him? Not just about residential stuff, but town planning, some of the areas across New South Wales that are booming at the moment in terms of regional hubs. Um, yeah, great guy. And what about Rod's longest question in the history of the podcast? <laughs> Got to be the best question ever asked on this podcast. Rod was on fire. <laughs> yeah, and Kane managed to actually answer each and every component of that question. Not a bad memory either. And boys, uh, joining us on this episode, so we're kind of privileged. I think it should be some kind of standing ovation. It's the master franchisee of Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions, New South Wales, the great Mark McNulty has joined us. Gentlemen, that's the best best intro I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My former boss at the radio station as well. And you left 2GO and CFM to actually go and start this franchise with Smith & Sons. Can you tell us more? Well, yeah, you say I was your boss, but I don't know that you listened to me a great deal, but you did do a great show. Yeah, look, I probably had a uh, enough of the corporate landscape and, and was looking for something more for myself and the family. So in 2008, we went out on a new venture, Sarah and myself, and started up Smith & Sons New South Wales. Now, it's certainly a challenge, Mark. I mean, franchises is just such a big field, but... Were you looking at anything specific? Did it need to be building related or are you just weighing up across a whole lot of different career bases? What made you choose Smith & Sons and the building trade? Well, it, it didn't need to be the building trades. I probably gravitated to that because I've got a building background and I was into the corporate landscape for some time and I was just looking for something new and more exciting to, to venture out into and, and lo and behold, in 2008, I found myself running a building company. 
Well, one of the great attractions with Smith and Sons that had already been established, but it was certainly very much in the beginning of the franchise era. What were the things that attracted you particularly to it? Yeah, I, I suppose the structure that come out of out of the model that Smith and Sons is uh, aligned to, um, the systems and the support from corporate office. They were the things that really got me involved in it. I like structure and that was there and I thought it was a great model combined with, you know, the skills that I'd learned over the year in the, in the corporate landscape and, and my knowledge of the building background is uh, is probably what led me towards Smith & Sons. So you started, and I remember you had this magnificent showroom in Erina. What happened next on the pathway? Yeah, I mean, Erina started and it was um, it was a beautiful showroom, but it, we kind of expanded past that. And as you can appreciate, real estate is quite expensive to maintain across the whole footprint. So we moved away from the design centres as such and become more a little bit transparent in our activity in the people's homes rather than have them come to us. But it was a growth phase for us at that point and it was setting the brand up in a market and I think we did that extremely well. We've had Smith & Sons franchisees join us right through the year and I'm sure we'd all agree here on the podcast that we've really loved them talking about the fact that Smith & Sons renovations and extensions is almost like a family. Is that what you're most proud of? Yeah, look, it is. I mean, Steve, you've known me for a lot of years and and family is important to me and, and it is important to everybody. And I think if we can have that culture within our business, it helps align people's values to one another. At the end of the day, we're there to support each other. Our guys do that extremely well. And in turn, that flows through to our projects and our clients. How many franchisees now across New South Wales? We've got 28 franchisee offices running across the state, all the way from Tugnarong down in Canberra ACT, Dave and Cheryl down there, right up to Inverell, New England North with Tristan and Tina and anywhere in between. Strong presence on the Central Coast and Hunter and, and very strong in Sydney. Wollongong, Illawarra, Kiama. We've pretty much covered the area. Can you believe what you've achieved, like to have that many franchisees in such a short period of time? Oh, look, it, it, it is a great achievement, but, you know, it's not – I'm very strong on there's no iron team. We have a great team here at New South Wales Corporate and we have a great team at Corporate and what we've been able to achieve over the years, exceptional growth. But, you know, people come and go. That's that's in any business, but we've got a great bunch and, and I'm proud of the, the whole team. I, I really am. Yeah, it's huge, Mark. So congratulations for all this success so far. Look, often on this show, we're talking about the property market and, and forecasting and trying to predict, I guess, what, you know, what's ahead of us. I know the last sort of 12 to 24 months, you know, I, I guess it's been booming. Lots of trades have been booked out. What does 2023 hold for, for the building industry? Oh, look, I think building's going through a realignment of itself and, and probably writing itself in many ways. We've had it, had it pretty lucky for a lot of years. We've certainly had our challenges over the years, the financial crisis in, in 07, 08 and currently, and, you know, once in a lifetime floods to navigate through, but, you know, once in a lifetime flood seems to happen every second or third year. In 23, construction under the renovations extensions footprint, which we find ourselves in, is extremely solid. The type of builds may change a little bit, but, you know, people aren't racing off doing the big grandiose new builds and knockdown rebuilds, and it probably really aligns itself to the renovations extensions market that we find ourselves in. So our prospects moving in 23 and beyond are very solid, and the industry heads are telling us that. Hey, Mark, uh, just before we go any further, can we share a quick story? When, when I came to you about the Our House podcast, be honest, had you ever heard of what a podcast was, even though you worked in the radio industry and even though hundreds of millions listen to podcasts around the world? Well, I know I know my partner Sarah is going to be listening to this, so I've got to answer truthfully, podcast what? <laughs> <laughs> 
Look, that's understandably, Mark. And that's the one thing with a business like yours too, just the different forms of media need to be involved in with a franchise like this. You know, Facebook's one thing. You've probably got a Twitter tag and the rest of it as well. But one of the biggest challenges with franchise is creating that team. Now, you've grown it to over 28 franchisees. That's hundreds and hundreds of people employed down through the chain. What some of the attributes are you looking at with the people that you wanted to bring on as far as franchisees? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when we're always in, in growth phase. We're always looking for new business partners. And, and I suppose that's what it is. It's When you're buying a franchise, you're buying a business and you're partnering with somebody like myself or the corporates. And it is somebody that shares the values that we do. It's somebody that really cares about what they do, have passion about growth, can listen to, to other ideas and that's probably the strength in our group. As much as we've got 28 franchisees, there's a lot of opinions in there that you can imagine. And the fact that when we do get together to our, our national awards or even state conferences, the ideas are shared and, you know, it's it's a good thing. Family culture is what we look for. And when I'm recruiting, that's what we're looking for. One of the most entertaining guests was Ben Falconer from Smith & Sons <laughs> Renovations and Extensions in Wyong. He was so good, he came back on for a, a second appearance. And uh, he said that when... He spoke to you. You've got some kind of sales pitch. He said he was about to hang up, but he just could not say no. So we want to know, what's this Midas touch that you've got? Elaborate for us. It's quite funny. I mean, it, it's not a Midas touch. It's just touching on the on the honesty of what it is. I mean, we go out and recruit and builders have a need and they come to us to, to see if we can actually fulfill that need for them. And after a five-minute conversation, giving a, a quick overview of Smith & Sons and what we can offer Ben uh, and builders in general is, yeah, I'll think about it. And I said, well, it's an interesting comment. So basically, you've just brushed me off because you really don't understand it. But you contacted me, Ben. Maybe we should have a bigger conversation. And that got him thinking maybe there is because <laughs> he's a colourful gentleman, Ben, and wears his heart on his sleeve. And he thought, you know what? I did open up the door. I need to go in and have a have a look at what's going on. And he's still with us and one of our longest serving franchisees. And we've got to say a great acquisition, great personality, and just a passion that comes through with this guy, which I've got to say, Mark, has been reflected across just about with every franchisee that we've spoken through with this program. As I said, Ben wears his heart on his sleeve. Describe him as a rough diamond, but I've got to tell you, it's one gem you want, you want in your kit. We've probably taken up enough of your precious time, but... All of these renovations and extensions, they'd all be like your baby and they're all in the portfolio. There's plenty on social media and some of them have won national awards. But have you got a couple of favourites that really stand out across the network? Well, I do, I do but it'd be remiss of me to say which one because then I'm just throwing myself under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, a week out from the Christmas party. Not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for leading me down that path, but I'm going to send you across to smithandsons.com.au. Go to the gallery and you can make the decision for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also, I just want to find out because I love great business stories. Have you had – is there like a mentor that you look to? I mean, I know you're – you're kind of like Yoda yourself. You're like the guru, but is there someone that's kind of guided you along the way? Oh, look, there, there is. I mean, from family and friends and to two ex-bosses that I've had, Reese Holleran, who, you know, Stephen Everett, who was one of my first CEOs of the Ace Radio Group. You know, if you can listen to these guys that have made it in the world and made it in business and you have the ability to share with them your story and learn from their experience, I've been pretty fortunate that I've had a lot of good people around me. What's the vision? 
in the next few years. So if you've got 28 franchisees now, where do you see this heading in the next five to 10 years? Oh, look, we, w- we would love to be at 50 franchisees within five to 10 years. It's not about the number of franchisees. It's getting the right guys on to reflect what we are about. And, you know, sometimes we have to slow our growth phase down. But I, I think 50 within across New South Wales is a great number for us to strive towards. Growth is happening. We've got a couple of guys already touching with one of our business development managers at the moment wanting to come on board. So we're just going through some interviews at the moment because it's about finding the right guys. All right, boys, let's uh, rise as one again. For uh, the master franchisee in New South Wales of Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions, we finally got him on the white whale himself, Mark McNulty. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. That is Mark McNulty, the master franchisee of Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions. Boys, what a great story. We finally got him on. Yeah, great story. And obviously a leader as well, um, experience in the building space, but also does fantastic work with teams and and obviously organisations. I know from his time with you at the radio station, then also in the building space with Smith & Sons as well. Yeah, well, you notice there. So if they talk about Smith & Sons being a family, and he spoke a lot about the fact that it's who they bring in. So there must be a real assessment in who actually gets a franchise. Look, that's by reinforced by every single franchise here we've spoken to. That's the one thing that comes through overridingly. Everybody is talking about it. There's a family business from the top down. Boys, any final words? Well, look, one of the most iconic hospitality venues on the Central Coast, the Clan Hotel, Motel, the one that's right on the Terrigal Lagoon there. On Ocean View Drive is on the market. As we Savills in Sydney, it's just under 3,000 square meters it is lakefront you're going to have some planning issues with with water heights and things but nonetheless seeking up towards 20 million dollars for the sale of that one huge potential there i actually think that location's fantastic it's kind of been respectfully the clan haven't probably done the best job there in terms of marketing but you don't really want five six seven stories going up because all of a sudden that beautiful beach at lagoon won't see sunshine. Oh, it's gone. So yeah. it's it's going to be an issue there because where you build is going to be the north side of the beach, and that means they've really got to consider what's going to happen with shadowing for the rest of that little lagoon beach. Well, that's enormous. You know, maybe a $20 million sale on the Central Coast and just a gorgeous location. Sharpie, we should just say before we go that Episode 7 of The Dining Room Table is about to drop as well, uh, hot off the press. Yeah, yeah, great episode. Uh, Just chatting about how to value a property um, and talking through comparable sales, not just on the purchase price, but also comparable uh, rentals as well, just so you get a better understanding on uh, what the purchase price is going to be and also what your rental income is going to be as well. Well, I would encourage all of our listeners to have a listen to The Dining Room Table because it's an outstanding podcast specifically for investors. They're short, bite-sized little podcasts. Yeah, just like 10 to 15 minutes and um, yeah, basically consists of you just firing some questions at me and me just freelancing, really. It's not just for investors. Anybody think about investing in real estate as a home. There's so many points and topics on that, how to research it, Matt. Well done. No, thanks, boys. Yeah, thanks again to Smith & Sons Renovations and Extensions. That is episode 45. Can you believe we're nearing the half century on this podcast? It was Matt's idea. We had a coffee at Terrigal back in about 2018, and it's been fantastic so far. We'll catch you again soon on the Our House podcast.